Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates on today's show. I have a very special guest, a returning guest. His name is Philip Fairbanks. We've talked in the past. I interviewed him about his book, which was published in 2020, titled Pedogate Primer, The Politics of Pedophilia. And there is an audio book now. And right now on Amazon in the U.S., it has 28 five-star reviews. So it's well-deserved. And he's interviewed me about some of my books. And we also did a discussion with Roberta Glass about a very important book titled The Witch Hunt Narrative, Politics, Psychology, and the Sexual Abuse of Children. And that's written by Ross Chait. And you can go back and look at that. But I've talked to him and somebody who I'm interested in knowing more about and who Philip knows more about than me, a guy by the name of William Burroughs who wrote Naked Lunch and was really kind of the core founders of the post-war beat culture and the counterculture and uh, was much more profound than what I understood as I kind of got into it. But Phil's bio is he's a writer with 20 years of publishing experience covering entertainment media, news reporting, and his work has appeared in the peer-reviewed journal of Art After Image, CUNY's graduate newspaper, The Advocate, UK's Morningstar newspaper, Australia's New Dawn magazine, Ghetto Blaster magazine, New Noise magazine, Paranoia, the Goldwater, and several other print and online publications. He has spent years researching and covering online child grooming, the Jeffrey Epstein case, MK Ultra, the Finders Cult, and several other topics that are discussed in his book, Pedigree Primer. But again, we're going to talk about William Burroughs today. So, Philip Fairbanks, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's nice to be here. Cool. Uh, as as far as uh, Burroughs goes, of course, you know he got a mention in. Uh, in Pedogate Primer in the section on, uh, you know, art and high culture and literature. And it's just a massive amount. Like, uh, honestly, like that that chapter I did is such like, uh, it's not even a good survey, really. It's just like a few cases because I could write, you could write volumes about just pedophiles in literature and art scene. Uh, and with Burroughs, you know, you get that, uh, that rare double whammy of the pedophile slash wife murder. Um, and you know, uh, I, I hope I don't upset too many people. I know that there are a lot of people who like of the people who follow me, that there are probably a lot of Burroughs fans out there. I bet there are a lot of Hunter S. Thompson fans out there. And yes, I, I, I was a huge fan of those guys. I was very much inspired by them. And I still am, you know, creatively, I can't deny the inspiration, but I think it's also really important to come to terms with like who these, you know, who, who these guys were, what they were doing uh, and, and be aware of that. Like that doesn't mean, you know, like I was telling you before we started, uh, Woody Allen or Kevin Spacey, I can toss them in the garbage. I don't need them. That's just sheer entertainment value is what they provided. No real value. But with Burroughs, and I would say Hunter Thompson, too, uh, in, in parts, they they did some work, uh, some important nonfiction that, you know, and some of their thought was worth looking into. So I, it's, uh, you know, maybe a case where it's important to, you know, uh, salvage the baby from the bathwater. Right. And maybe we can do for the listener just an overview of his life, his background, because I think it's important to his story, his work oh, following the murder of his wife. Which mm -hmm. he's told multiple stories of, by the way. Right. Um, oh yeah, and also that was the second murder that he was involved, like that he was connected to at some point. Um, you know, uh, like, like we were talking before, he he is like the kind of the classic, uh, you know, East Coast wasp scion of a wealthy family kind of thing. 
but one of the things I find interesting with him is like Lovecraft, he's also got that maybe not quite a chip on the shoulder, but like uh, it's it, it's that fallen nobility thing going on. Because, you know, Burroughs' grandfather invented the Burroughs adding machine, which, you know, I, I used to be a subcontractor for some for some LDS folks and I would clean banks. And the local bank, I remember going down in the basement once and seeing an old Burroughs adding machine. I thought it was so cool. Wow, but the Burroughs amazing. adding machine, you could do like, you know, obviously they had them in banks and things. It was it was a really advanced calculator for the time. It was an early computer of sorts, even though it was, you know, uh, I mean, like all computers initially worked basically like looms, you know, and you use little punch cards and things. I don't believe this used a punch card, but uh, it was like a typewriter sort of. Um, but it's kind yeah, of like so, a tech error. You can put him in like exactly, James Angleton or something. Exactly. Like and, he would, and he would have been a lot more rich if his granddad hadn't sold the Burroughs adding machine to IBM. Yep. He sold it to IBM. Uh, so just like like with Lovecraft, you know, Lovecraft and Burroughs both had very, uh, you know, uh, I, shared, I shared that tweet with you yesterday because they've also got the face, you know, like the look, the, uh, the they've got that look where it's like, you know, with just a, uh, a glare, they can make people will. Yeah, no, you, you don't talk to me, you know, Um but uh, we, we also in the pre-show, we talked about his relationship with Ivy Lee, too. Can you talk about Ivy mm -hmm. Lee? Yeah, yeah. His uh, uh, his uncle uh, is uh, Ivy Lee, who is, you know, business partners with uh, Edward Bernays, who's the nephew of Sigmund Freud uh, and the founder of like when you say he wrote the book on propaganda. No, literally, he wrote the book entitled Propaganda. Uh, and is considered the father of public relations. He invented what what we would call modern spin, uh, and and I think that's an incredibly important factor for Burroughs because a lot of what he writes about is about systems of control and the means of using words to control thought, uh, cultural engineering, uh, and this kind of thing. And a lot of the things that would be picked up by the likes of uh, Genesis P. Origin things. It's it's all. Uh, it's all connected there. And a lot of that goes back to Ivy Lee. Another important factor in his childhood, by the way. Um, but I, for people who don't know, Ivy Lee made the Rockefellers look good. That was part of right. his main job. Yeah, yeah. So he was helping out all the railroads and doing all this stuff. And he died like William so Burroughs is of a is brain, connected, brain cancer. You know? Like it's yeah, almost yeah. karmic. Yeah, it's karmic. <laughs> But yeah, he also, when he was young, you know, there was, uh, uh, he, uh, that's when he got his first, uh, you know, kind of contact with the occult. There was a, a maid, uh, in the house that was, you know, African-American woman who, uh, apparently practiced hoodoo or voodoo or whatever. And so that's when he first, and, and, uh, I think it was one of the ladies around the house. I remember seeing an interview with him once, uh, you know, back in the early two thousands, I swear I, I saw anything that was online that had an interview or Burroughs reading his work uh, between 2000 and 2007. I've seen it all. Like there might be stuff that's been added since then, but uh, yeah, We're at that time. <laughs> right. Away. That too. Yeah. Uh, but I remember him talking about, uh, you know, one of the, uh, uh, one of the servants in, in his house growing up 
talking about how he, you know, like, I don't know if the words was the evil eye, but something along those lines. And in another one of his books, one of his stand-in characters, uh, there's a line about, uh, you know, how he just had a sinister look. People thought he was up to no good, even as a kid. They were like, this, this guy's trouble. This guy's, you know. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, pretty wealthy family. Not just wealthy, but well-connected. That's an important thing. It's it, This isn't just a new money family. This is, like you said, guys that are one step removed from the Rockefellers and Bernays and Freud and whatnot. Um, and he's properly he was, educated. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, Ivy League, uh, Harvard uh, Har Harvard, went, went to Vienna to study to study medicine. Um, you know, he was, he was incredibly well-educated. But at the same time, uh, another thing that I always found, uh, that I always liked about uh, both Burroughs and Lovecraft, again, because I find a lot of similarities between the two. Um, their politics are, are obviously very, very different, but it, it's interesting. I, I feel like a lot of the same kind of factors created them. And Burroughs, um, you know, the, the pulp influence in Burroughs, you cannot ignore the pulp influence in Burroughs, the, you know, uh, you know, pulp horror comics and, you know, uh, uh, like EC comics and horror stories and things. You can really see where that and true crime, you know, his first book, Junkie, came out in 1953. It was under the pseudonym William Lee. Um, it was an ace double day. Uh, I remember seeing one for sale once where it was one of those books where you flip it and then there's another book on the back. So it's like literally, literally gutter, gutter trash literature, you know, it's exactly that kind of, uh, you know, oh, I'm like, I married a lesbian kind of stuff that was starting to filter out into, uh, into places that, you know, like you wouldn't find them anywhere, you know, someone uh, like uh, where most people would shop, but like, you know, the kind of things they're selling under the counters and whatnot. Um, but yeah, uh, so he ends up... Uh, uh, in the 40s, by the way, it, he's supposedly approached by Wild Bill Donovan, uh, who formed the OSS, which would later become the CIA. Uh, he was supposedly approached by Wild Bill Donovan to become an agent. Uh, and as we were talking earlier, he does. He completely fits the, you know, um, a lot of those guys were Yale, but, uh, you know, there were other uh, Ivy Leagues in there. Um, so as, as, as a Harvard man, he would have fit right in with the OSS. Um, you know, you got the Frankfurt school guys are working with them at the same time. And, you know, uh, we're setting the, uh, you know, uh, setting everything up for when, uh, the, the Congress for cultural freedom and the <coughs> stuff that, um, you know, uh, Francis Stoner Saunders is talking about in cultural cold war, where we are literally, you know, the CIA propped up movements like, you know, abstract expressionism, they're funding the Kenyan Review and they're funding the Paris Review and they're funding, you know, all these publications, uh, a lot of them poss quite possibly would have failed in the in the 1950s. They would not have survived. They would you not even have, have heard of them, on. the Paris Review. Yeah, exactly. You probably wouldn't have heard of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're you all know, coming together to fight communism after mm -hmm. the war. They're yeah. organizing this culture war right yeah all over yep. europe yeah i like the 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 term um that douglas valentine uses is the compatible lab you know they found artists and authors 
who were, you know, who could say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm left wing. But, um, you know, another science fiction writer, H.G. Uh, Wells, for instance, you know, like aliens come up time and again, aliens and extra dimensional beings. And the whole alien psyop I see is connected to Burroughs as well. You know, Burroughs and Lovecraft were a big part of the whole, like, you know, the influence of, of you know, the UFO culture or whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, I, whether it's, whether it's uh, aliens and UFOs, uh, science fiction, um, chaos magic and occultism, um, you know, he's called the godfather of punk rock. He's called, you know, the godfather of industrial music. He's he's the grand old man of the counterculture. He's the godfather of counterculture. He shows up um, all over the place. Ministry. Mm-hmm. He's in New World. Uh, just yeah. One Fix, right? You can yep. see him in Just One Fix when he's older. But Drugstore cowboy, you know. It's just uh, incredible how many people he's influenced. Kurt Cobain had a mind machine. Like Burroughs and Geisen created something. You you put it on a record player, and it's it's sort of like a magic lan. It's an abstract magic lantern show, sort of. Uh, it's you you've got this uh, you know uh, sort of like a screen or curtain, this round thing. You sit it on a record player, and and here's the thing, by the way, this is this is absolutely shamanic technology, okay? Because the 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 music and the drum beats. And the the fire, fire was often an element in, you know, shamanic, you know, ecstatic um, uh, rituals. And the reason for the fire and the reason for a specific pulse on the drumbeat is because there are like when things are flickering at a certain rate and you're seeing them and you're hearing them and there's this certain like, you know, it puts you in an altered state. You know, that's sort of like how like television does somewhat. It creates an alpha state, but this is more of a, probably a theta state or something like that. But um, the, the Burroughs Geisen mind machine uh, was designed to create hallucinations. Um, you know, you sit and stare at it and then you start seeing things. It's kind of like, you know, there's another trick you can use. You put, uh, put, cut a, cut a ping pong ball, put them over your eyelids. Um, and, put headphones on and listen to static for a half hour and you will start to hear voices because your brain, like your brain is designed to where sometimes you hallucinate because of a certain frequency or a certain, you know, that's, and that's the kind of stuff that Burroughs was interested in. That was one of the reasons why I was so interested in because uh, I've always been interested in the brain and how it works and these kind of things. And whether it's, you know, uh, self-help and, uh, Scientology and you know the occult, all that stuff. A lot of it has very similar roots, like right. But he was he's got ties to Scientology as well, and he uh-huh. did an album with Kurt Cobain. So they're working yep, together yep. on music. The ties this guy has is off the charts, and he flirted with Scientology and then fell out. But there's a picture yeah, of him holding yeah, yeah. Um, the holding the two cans. Yeah, yeah the Emu cans. Yeah. What's interesting is he was he was for a while at least. What what's you know, church, church of Scientologist, uh, like official church of Scientologist members would call a squirrel. A squirrel is someone who practices Scientology outside of Scientology. It's, it's kind of like the Catholic church. You're not allowed to, you know, just, I'm going to make my own priest. I'm going to ordain this guy and do everything that Catholic, you're not allowed to do that. That's not how Catholicism works. That's not how Scientology works. But, uh, over the years, you know, over the decades, there are actually, you know, I think one of them is called the free zone or whatever, where people leave Scientology, 
but they still believe in it. They're like, it's not no, it's incredible. Yeah. bad. Yeah. It's David Miscavige that's bad. And it's like, yes, he's also bad. Um, the Mormon church has the same thing, dude. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's not the the religion that's wrong. It's uh, it's this hierarchical structure. That's the problem. Uh, And you know what's scary is like uh, when it comes to the the occult and chaos magic and Crowley and Scientology and a lot of the Burroughs stuff, what's scary is uh, it does work somewhat. Like, you know, there are things in Scientology that are effective and work because they're based on psychological principles, you know. But Hubbard was a smart guy. He was, he was you know, definitely a con man, and he lied constantly. But he wasn't always lying. No one can constantly lie. It's just impossible. And some of that stuff was, I would call it powerful mental technology or whatever you want, uh, because that self-help stuff, psychology, it does. It works. The core of Scientology has this idea of engrams where you have traumas mm-hmm. and you're overcoming those. That's right. That's not uh, something fake. You know, that's yeah, it's that not it's not even. magic. People it go literally have the brain work. Exactly. It re- like and the, the what, what makes it so scary is that once you get in there, they convince you that they've got a monopoly on this. You can't go right. to another church. You can't go to a therapist. We are right. the only ones who understand the technology of how the soul works through the mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Burroughs but, got into this for nearly a right. decade. Um, you know, it. I, the, I do the, wonder. The if psychologists, some... just to let you know, the psychologists in Scientology are the enemy. They're the arch mm-hmm. enemy. We have the truth. They're all balonies. And that serves a lot of purposes mm-hmm. within Scientology because yeah. nobody will go see a psychologist because they've already been tainted by Scientology. Because right. the psychologists exactly. say, there's a lot of cons- coercive control here, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Money. <laughs> you're you're going to be a suppressive person yeah. if you go to that therapist. Like, you know, I was rewatching the Stephen Fishman deposition. I don't know if you've ever seen that. This I'm is how, like, yeah, time. where the Xenu stuff finally got, you know, and like that is such a wild story. This guy, like, almost killed his psychologist, and you know, was embezzling like a million dollars from his from his work. And David Miscavige may have met with him personally. And then when he's trying to, you know, he's talk with his lawyers, and then Scientology, listen, you've got to lie, you've got to plant, you've got to falsify this investigation so it doesn't come back on us. And he ended up with more years for obstruction of justice because of that. Um, but yeah, no, uh, you know, Burroughs, uh, I, I don't know, like, sometimes I wonder how much of what Burroughs is selling that he buys himself. Like, you know, I was re-listening to one of the Naropa lectures, I think it was from like 1986. And there's another one from the seventies, uh, where, you know, he talks about stuff like electronic voice phenomenon, EVP. And he talks about like, you know, um, this thing, a wishing machine. He talks about a wishing machine. And I'm like, Mr. Burroughs, do you really believe what you're like? Do you really believe this? And and then on the other hand, uh, like I think sometimes he played the role of like, you know, the Loki or the coyote, the trickster archetype type character. Um, but I do believe that almost anything that he pushed, he at least tried himself, like the wishing machine, and you put the photo in this thing, and then there's a ray pointed at it, and you focus your thought. I do believe he actually did that. Whether he believed in it, like like it's the sense to which he believed in it. That's that's by the way one of the roots of chaos magic that 
is originated in Crowley. That whole bit about like and the Sephiroth and it doesn't matter if you believe these things. All you need to know is that if you do certain things, other things happen. Uh, which, right. No, he talks about the will. Yeah. He's got it down. The will creates reality. He has the right. fundamentals of magic down. And he was where, where faith is powerful, it. but you don't even have to really believe in it to put faith in it. That's that's what I found really interesting about like Crowley and Burroughs and the whole chaos magic thing. The idea that and and I I can't deny the fact that it seems like yes, faith is a powerful thing, regardless of what you put your faith in. Faith itself is a powerful thing. Um, you know, like I remember uh, there's a, a, a psychological experiment where they put somebody under deep under in hypnosis. They put like a, a penny on them. They told them the penny was being heated up. They've got like a very mild burn on their arm, you know, where the penny was because your brain is very powerful. And if you convince your brain that something is true, it will act accordingly, which, like I said, that's. That's where you, you got to realize the, the the chaos magic and hypnosis and all this stuff, which is all one degree removed from MK Ultra, just basic mind control tactics. A lot of what was occultism and magic and these secret societies and what they practice um, is just psychological tactics. I believe. I, I do believe that, like this idea of an ancient wisdom that comes from shamanism and the solar lodges of the of Egypt and Babylon. I do believe those guys were onto something. You know, I find it interesting that the Egyptians had, uh, you know, batteries. You know, the Egyptians had batteries, and then we just lost that technology for five thousand years or whatever. That's that's kind of crazy when you think about it. So yeah, if they had that kind of technology, why would they not also have perhaps some powerful like psychological tactics and, and technologies? I believe that a lot of uh, well, like all these language... priestcrafts, all these priestcrafts, Egypt, Aztecs, even in the states, it's variation. They're all about mm -hmm. social control for a ruling or oligarchy. It always and, goes know, back to that. You mentioned so all the, the hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, sorry. All, yeah. all of those secret societies. There's a Binding function within the secret society. So whatever the whatever the secret doctrines are, even in Scientology, Mormonism, Catholicism, that binds the core people together on time. Right. So you have to yeah, have yeah. orthodoxy for power. Yeah. Right. You mentioned the Aztecs, by the way. Uh, probably a good a good time to bring up the Mayan apocalypticism and Burroughs, because despite the fact that you know I was reading a. a uh, Tommy Cowan uh, is an academic uh, who I guess he got his PhD from University of Amsterdam. He's an associate editor of a journal of esotericism. And he writes about like uh, chaos magic and all these, you know, weird currents and things. And one of his articles, which I found incredibly interesting, uh, uh, this this essay on, you know, paper on uh, Burroughs in 2012. Because the whole like Mayan apocalypse, end of time, 2012 thing, a lot of that was popularized by Burroughs. Because, you know, um, I think it was Burroughs' wife who was initially interested in the whole like, you know, the Mayan apocalypse and the, uh, you know, the, the calendar and the countdown and all that kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, he writes about it in, in multiple of his books. Um, and it, it's, it's a theme that comes up over and over again. Um, but for whatever reason, and I did not know this personally, I knew, like, I knew that Burroughs, like, I'd seen some of his stuff and, you know, referencing the Mayans and whatnot. 
but I did not know that, like, you know, he was one of the originators and you know, popularizing the trope, this meme of, you know, the 2012 Mayan apocalypse. He didn't mention 2012, uh, uh, but, like, the count he uses, like, refers to another, you know. Um, but for whatever reason, and I find this interesting, too, um, like... Cowan is the 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 first guy to have really gone deep in this. There's there's an earlier guy who like briefly mentions Burroughs and the Beats, but doesn't go into the background. Um, and you know, Cowan believes that there may be a reason why uh, Burroughs scholars. You know, it's just like uh, you know, there's a a recent book I haven't read it. I've read portions of the Scientology book about Burroughs. And that guy said the same thing. He was like, so yeah, I don't know why, but nobody, everybody is ignoring Scientology. I, that, I believe that, you know, that's the whole thing about being, uh, if you're a, a literary or cultural or artistic giant, chances are you were propped up to a great degree. Um, you know, we mentioned Mailer and, uh, you know, uh, Norman Mailer, uh, defended naked lunch in the trial you know so you've got the the wife stabber defending the wife shooter um but you know it's oh by the way somebody was asking if burroughs is a lifelong user of heroin to my knowledge yes there were a lot of the interviews he did um in like the the 80s and 90s where he you know brags about having quit but um you know some some stuff that i, I think was might have been published posthumously or released by James Graerholtz, which was uh, his literary agent, longtime friend, and sometimes lover, I guess. Uh, but yeah, apparently uh, a, a lot of those interviews he was giving where he was talking about, like there was one in, in Canada uh, with the CBC and the guys interviewing him uh, about like, you know, so if, is it once a junkie, always a junkie? And he's like, oh, no, no, it's not. I'm not a junkie anymore. I used to be a junkie. And like in reality, James Graerholtz a few hours earlier had had to go through the, the dark alleys of Toronto to, front, to, to find a fix for Mr. Burroughs. Um, so I think it's kind of sad, by the way, that he apparently, I think he was a little bit ashamed of that. You know, like there's a reason why he was like, no, I kicked heroin. You know, heroin, heroin's not that bad for you. And besides, I quit it. Anybody can quit it. I quit it. Anybody can quit it. But he didn't that's, quit it. No. Right. But that's a, the important part of uh, Naked Launches, his fight against mm -hmm. his involvement control. in the fights against Control him. and addiction. And that's another thing I find interesting is using addiction as a metaphor for control. Uh, because, like, when you're, when you're a, pa a power freak, a control freak or whatever, it is an addiction. Like, and the whole thing about concentrated power and authoritarian structures, it's about addiction. Uh, you know, oligarchs collecting money that their great, 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 great grandchildren could never even fully spend. That's obviously an addiction. You know, that's a, there's a sickness. Once you get to $100 billion and you're trying to make more money. You're sick. You have a problem. You need to see, you need to talk to someone about like, what is the deeper problem that you're trying to fix with money? Because you've already got, you know, so whether it's control or power or sex or money or drugs, addiction and control, it's very much tied over. And it's very ironic because that's another thing he points out. The addiction to control controls you. You will be controlled by your need for power. So it's, it's a paradox, right? Um, but yeah, it's, it's stuff like that, like his writing on, uh, you know, control and, 
the basic idea that language is a type of magic. That's something else right. I very much strongly believe. There's a reason why. Think about the words that describe literacy. Um, right. A ritual is a right. Spell. When you put letters together or when you say some magic words, you know, to encant, to chant, you know, enchanting, like all these are literally tied together in the basic, the, the basic words that describe literacy and language also have double magical meanings. And that's not a coincidence. I do not believe that's a coincidence. Um, art, language and magic, I believe, were very much tied together initially, um, you know, whether it was cave painting as a ritual to kind of like, you know, figure out how we're going to take down these uh, whatever woolly mammoth or bison or whatever's uh, going around 20,000 years ago. Um, it, it was, it, it worked as art. It worked as communication. And I believe it was also served a ritualistic re religious purpose. Uh, and the whole thing about ritual and religion is, it serves multiple purposes. I believe, you know, not to go too off topic, but like the whole thing with Disney adults, you know, I saw somebody mentioning, and, and I kind of agree with this, that like the whole Disney adult phenomenon, I think comes from the fact that we're in a highly secularized society, but the body and brain and soul crave uh, religion. So we need mythologies. We need, you know, these uh, larger than life stories. Um, which, by the way, that's another reason why I'm interested in the pulps. I think that, like, uh, some people would call, like, pulp fiction and, and you know, stuff like EC horror comics, that's lowbrow. It's low culture. Yes, absolutely. But, you know, lowbrow doesn't necessarily mean bad. Uh, lowbrow culture is at least as important as any highbrow culture. It's, it's probably more uh, important, uh, like to, you know, there are more average people than there are elites and, and the elites are more insulated than your average person. Uh, so yeah, I think, you know, like whether, whether we're talking about Philip K. Dick or Lovecraft or Burroughs, like that whole idea of the pulps as sort of a new religion, a new mythology, I think that's, uh, uh, kind of interesting, uh, uh, to look into as well, as well as, you know, another reason why Burroughs appeals to me is the intersection of art, occultism, and intelligence, like, you know, there's, there's just so, it's, it's, it's feckin' territory. Uh, it really is. And uh, Burroughs is so, like, Burroughs, like, nobody else in the 20th century, apart from Aleister Crowley, uh, like, is so emblematic of that intersection of art, uh, uh, the intelligence community, and uh, culture. And, and like I said, you know, we don't know that Burroughs was was connected to the CIA in any way. I think I, I like to think he was more of a uh, probably used as a long leash style agent like a lot of the guys like William Willem de Kooning didn't know that he worked for the CIA. You know, I don't believe that Jackson Pollock had any idea he worked for the CIA. He didn't know that the CIA like that those guys giving you good reviews, those guys that got you into that gallery, the guys that are making you important, they're connect they're getting paid by the CIA. I don't think I don't think those guys knew it. Burroughs though, I don't know. Because Burroughs was a really smart guy. And like, you know, he went through a really paranoid period, especially like in the later 50s and 60s. I think uh, maybe he broke the long leash and wanted to be a free agent. But um, 
I believe that at the same time, part of his paranoia was because he always knew that they're still monitoring. They're still monitoring him. And this is a guy who, once again, it, it can't be stressed enough, like was called in for questioning in connection to a murder twice and just walked home. Just walked right, home. He got away. No, he, he mm-hmm. was found guilty of manslaughter in Mexico in absentia mm-hmm. and just came home. So very strange. No. Shot his wife in the forehead. Yeah. yeah. In the forehead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and told they were playing William stories. Tell. No. They were playing. That, <laughs> no, that he changes story. That's what his friends said. Yeah. And th- that's that's another thing, by the way. These are the friends who were involved in a murder in 1946. Are all like, no, he's innocent. It's like, no, but aren't you the guys who were yeah. called in? Uh, you know, in Lucy and Carr, who like the Beatniks were born in blood. Okay. The Lucien Carr uh, is uh, is the guy who introduced um, Burroughs and Ginsburg and Kerouac. So, and and by the way, I'll go ahead and mention because you know uh, I'm not I, I'm not anal retentive about this fact, but some people are. Uh, but Uh-oh. oh, sorry about that. Dropping off, dropping off. Yeah, I, I apparently moved the laptop and it came unplugged. Um, Talk about uh, the car killing, right? What was what happened? Yeah, was, yeah. Lo- losing car. Crap. Okay, I, I think. I, I think okay, what happened okay. is Carr killed this guy, Cameron, and then went to the apartment mm-hmm. of William Bur- Burroughs, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Something and like then that. they were they were called in as uh, accomplices after the fact. In other words, not that they did it, but you know they possibly uh, well they didn't report it at least and and yeah not only like just like with the uh with the killing of his wife uh there are multiple stories about what happened uh we do know that the 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 dead body of this guy is you know pockets are filled with uh with rocks and he's thrown into thrown into a river um uh and and you know burroughs and kerouac are called in as accomplices after the fact um once again, they skate on this. Um, I think Kerouac actually had to spend some time in jail because uh, his parents didn't bail him out. So he actually had to spend a little time in jail. Oh, crap. Hold on. So, I mean, the other interesting thing that you can tie to him, to Burroughs, is the 23 Enigma, which, mm-hmm. uh, which Robert is- Anton Wilson was really Pro- big into. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. Which starts with Crowley. Crowley wrote the Book of Lies, which contains the poem Twenty Three Skidoo, um, which it, it's been a long time. But if I recall, it it's sort of I guess you could call it a mockery of Ecclesiastes in some ways, or at least it feels like it, like the style of writing and the you know it's sort of like an inverted. Uh, uh, I feel like it, in some ways it's an inverted Ecclesiastes. But Twenty Three Skidoo, of course is like, you know, old timey slang, but also, um, you know, is, is tied into the death of Dutch Schultz, you know, which, which Burroughs made a lot of, uh, there was the Captain Clark enigma, uh, which ties into the 23 thing. And, um, like you mentioned, Robert Anton Wilson, uh, definitely picked that up and flew with the whole, you know, 23 thing. And especially it's connection to Dutch Schultz and the, and Captain Clark and the plane that went down or whatever. And, um, like, 23 like is 666, me, right? So, yep, that's what it is. yep. And, 
and it's also, by the way, you know, 23 is uh, the W with uh, the letter W is the 23rd letter. Uh, that's also the letter that uh, Hawthorne, who has a pension connection, uh, you know, dropped the W from his name uh, because because of some stuff his ancestors did when they like stole some land from the pensions, among others. You know, that the whole Salem witch trials, a lot of that was really just a big land grab. Mm -hmm. Uh but, but yeah, uh, like the, the, the whole 23 Enigma, I remember in the early 2000s when the, the 23 movie came out with, with uh, Jim Carrey. This is back when, like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm like 18 when 9-11 happens. And, you know, I've just discovered that MKUltra exists and what the skull and bones are. It was it was a wild time to discover all that, by the way. You know, at the same time you're learning, oh, wow. The guy who stole the election is now doing a false flag coup. You know, it was a rough time for me, I'll admit it. Uh, so for a You're few years alone. there, I was especially paranoid. You know, the can thing, you blame me, thing, though? Let me interrupt, Philip, but by that time, you couldn't find out about that stuff prior to the Internet. So the mm -hmm. Internet gave power to put those. Oh, pieces. yeah, that's true. That's true. Exactly. Like, you know, uh, finding out so much so fast right around the time that this stuff is going on. It was it was kind of traumatic, I'll say. Uh, and it, it also felt weird because I started noticing things in pop culture like the 23 movie. And it's like, wait a minute. Who is this? This movie is for me. And you can't convince me otherwise. It's not for me. Like, you know, it's like the going back to Ivy Lee and Bernays. There's the target market and the target audience. You know, um, I was the target audience of 23, but not the target market. The target market, obviously, are people who pay for movies and don't know what, don't know anything about Crowley and Burroughs. And are just going to be like, oh, what's the 23 enigma? What's the 23 conspiracy? Um, but yeah, now I, I started noticing there's all this stuff that like, unless you were clued into like that, that when I started getting into like uh, Crowley, which that I feel was sort of a natural development, uh, you know, being interested in Burroughs and, and Genesis Peorge for years, um, you know, it's more surprising to me that I didn't see myself eventually getting into Crowley and chaos magic than, than the opposite. But like I said, I, I did go through like years of that and you know, uh, your mileage may vary, but for me, like I said, whether it's real or not, and that's the scary part and you don't have to believe it, but some of that stuff works. Okay. And like hypnosis, which I also played with for a while because I was in his NLP and self-help and all. So, of course, I learned hypnosis. And apparently, I was kind of good at it, which it's not a toy. It's not a parlor game. It's not a fun party game. Um, it is powerful stuff. And not everybody, by the way, not everybody, like, it's, it's a genetic thing. Some people, you know, I've taken uh, genetic testing, and I am not... Uh, you know, predisposed to being hypnotized. I now realize I got pulled on stage for a stage hypnotist once and he sent me back to the crowd. Like, and then later I learned, oh, I'm genetically predisposed to be difficult to like, thank goodness, by the way. Uh, but no, if, if, if you're not so genetically lucky, um, it is powerful stuff and it's not a toy. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. A lot of the, the, the self-help currents and the occult currents and, you know, it, a lot of that stuff is tied together and the roots of it are in Crowley. And there's this current that goes from 
uh, Crowley on to several others, including, I would say, Crowley, Burroughs, and Genesis P. Orridge are three major hubs that inspired all these people who inspired all these people who inspired yeah. all these people. And like, you know, it's kind of like what they say about the Velvet Underground. I love the, the saying about, you know, the Velvet Underground's first album sold under 500 copies. And every 500 of those copies, those guys went out and started a band, you know? So it's not so much like it didn't have to be that well known because the people who were inspired, inspired people who inspired people who inspired people. And it's, you know, uh, that the idea of memes, you know, uh, the, the, that originates in Richard Dawkins technically, but what, what apart from the uh, language is a virus, you know, the idea of language is a virus, not only is a meme, but it's a meme about memes. Because what is a meme? It's, you know, in the Dawkins sense anyways, I'm not talking about just like a picture that you share online, but a meme is a type of a trope that, you know, that propagates like a virus via language, you know, because language affects perception and thought. And, you know, uh, so, yeah, it's it's really powerful uh, stuff that we're talking about when it comes to what what Burroughs uh, uh, was into, you know, uh, I, I really enjoy, we were talking about Kerouac, for instance, I really enjoy Kerouac. Kerouac talks about meeting old bull Lee and, uh, Ker- uh, uh, Burroughs was living in, uh, New Orleans at the time. Um, and by the way, apparently the house that he was living in, like, you know, some people that worked there or something like came out later talking about, you know, just, just horrific child neglect going on which I, I hate to say it, addiction is a disease. And I've been there, you know, by the way, thanks Mr. Burroughs and Ginsburg. Oh dude, I'm going to be a counterculture author. I guess I should do hard drugs. Dude, how many smart, bright kids whose parents aren't super rich didn't make it out of that trap? I made it wow. out. Thankfully. Wow. I'm so glad that I made it out of that. I went in like, well, this is part of the thing. It's like an initiation. It's like fraternity hazing for counterculture, right? Yeah, yeah. And some people die in hazing, you know. And it's, uh, you know, but yeah, um, like the 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 whole thing in '46. It's, you know, I think it was around '46 when he moved there. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when when Kerouac uh, saw him, but you know, the, the like abuse and neglect. Uh, child abuse and neglect that was going on. It's not surprising to me at all because, you know, when you have people who are only concerned with putting dope in their arm, of course they're going to neglect their own. They'll neglect their own physical hygiene. Of course they'll yeah, neglect Yeah, it's happening kids. today. It's Look at all these people using opioids and uh, yep. all those drugs. So it's, it's it's part of the process like most people do. Yep. They're out. Absolutely. He even writes about that in Naked Lunch that their emotional range narrows down they just don't feel mm-hmm. anything because they're so happy with this opioid going through their system so um, yeah but yeah so that's kind of how i came to burrows like i didn't know that much about burrows but when i was researching genesis p orge for children of the beast I, there's pictures of him with burrows tons of pictures yep. and then peter christopherson they were in a band together toby iggy you know, so pop was that. a big fan you know patty smith uh i remember a, a, an interview uh uh, with Patty Smith, and she's talking about, oh, I really respected Burroughs. He's he was a hard, uh, he was really hard to get into bed. And it's like, well, 
you know you're a lady, Miss Smith, right? <laughs> you realize, and and obviously Burroughs was, you know, they 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 call him a gay icon, but apparently he was bisexual enough to have a kid, uh, at least. And that's, by the way, of course, a very tragic story. Um, William S. Burroughs Jr., who wrote, uh, you know, Kentucky Hams, and you know, died of a speed overdose. Um, and it, that's another sad thing, by the way, because like his dad. Like up into his 80s, he's talking about, you know, hard drugs aren't really that bad for you, you know? And it's like, dude, you realize your son is already dead because of hard drugs, right? Like that's what did it. Um, well, I think that yeah. put him over the edge. He was a heavy drinker. He had really bad cirrhosis. He was bleeding from his mouth. He wasn't supposed to make it. So he was like, a, his son was a guy who would wake up in the morning, start drinking all day, and they couldn't stop him from drinking. He was a hardcore alcoholics yeah so um what else do you want to cover i mean do you want to cover his you know connections to peter carroll i mean there's a lot oh of, yeah just so absolutely um you know uh i found it interesting you you reached out uh like shortly i had just posted about hakeem bay who is another guy who uh was very influenced by burroughs um and uh, also Burroughs is where I first hear about the laughing old man of the mountain, Hassan E. Sabah. If nothing is true, everything is permitted. Another thing that uh, Robert Anton Wilson absolutely picked up and ran with. Um, but, uh, you know, that idea uh, that Hassan E. Sabah, for those who don't know, is, um, you know, whether he existed or not as a historical figure, I believe he did. Um, I believe he did. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, he's uh, he's credited as being the father of the Illuminati and the Hashishin, uh, which, by the way, when it comes to the Illuminati and the assassins tradition, once again, there is an element of rituals and drugs used as a sacrament, like over and over and over again. Like you know, uh, most religions, I'd say, and, be and behavior uh, modification. Exactly. Exactly. Like most religions and rituals, they, a lot of times they will have like uh, an aspect of, of, of the use of some drug, even if it's just, you know, like the churches I went to growing up, we drank grape juice instead of alcohol, instead of like a shot glass of wine. But like technically that was the whole thing about communion is is it is, uh, you know, the, the use of an intoxicant as uh, a means of communion with a higher power or a Holy spirit. This is, this is something that uh, crops up in so many religions and, and cultures, but the whole uh, bit with the Illuminati, you know, supposedly Hassani Sabah, um, what would happen is, you know, um, uh, they would drug the guys and then they would wake up in a garden and, you know, like they're being like fed grapes and they're beautiful women. And the ones who believe that they've actually, you know, uh, cross over. Sorry to interrupt, but they're actually yeah. reborn in paradise. Right. That's where exactly. we get the word right. paradise. Is mm -hmm. an enclosed space full of uh, flowers and all kinds of vines and stuff like that. That's goes all the way back to right. the Iranian. That's where he's from, Persia. And Persia and the is. ones the ones who fell for it and were like, oh my God, <laughs> I've died and been brought back. Uh, those are the guys that they, they would use as, as the assassins, which comes from Hashishin or taker of Hashish, you know? Uh, and then the ones and, who were like, wait a minute, this is a trick. 
uh, are are candidates for the Illuminati, uh, which you know the 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 whole idea and of nothing is true and everything is permitted permeates you know both Crowley and Chaos Magic. Uh, the idea that everything is created by, you know, perception and the control of perception through language is magic. You know, this is, I, it's not, it's, it's not all that out there, really. You know, like when you, when you break it down to these, the, these types of elements, it's like, um, like for me, uh, I, I don't, I don't see it being all that. It's no more uh, out there than like, you know, EMDR or there. There or, or CBT or other types of therapy, I'd say, you know, it's just uh, something to do with sort of the way uh, people's minds work. But yeah, absolutely. Guys like uh, Phil Hine and Peter Carroll and, and Taro Alley. Uh, and a lot of these guys were, you know, uh, Dr. Christopher Hyatt, uh, who was a psychotherapist before he became a chaos magician. Um, a lot of these guys were all, you know, surrounded, uh, surrounded Robert Anton Wilson, by the way. And they're some of the folks who, wrote, I would call them foundational texts of chaos magic, stuff like Psychonaut and Libernal, and uh, I think Hein wrote, what was it, Oven Ready Chaos or something like that, and Robert Anton Wilson books like Prometheus Rising and the Cosmic Trigger uh, series. I, I owned uh, The Final Secret of the Illuminati, which The Final Secret of the Illuminati is that you're a member and it's too late to get out, which, by the way, is one of the scariest things anybody could ever imagine. Like the uh, Robert Anton Wilson's conception of the Illuminati is a trap. It's a scary trap because once you realize the Illuminati and that you're a member, then you have to decide, is the Illuminati an evil organization that's out to destroy mankind and control them, or are they a benevolent group that's trying to bring the light of enlightenment? And both are true, depending on what you believe. Is like that's that's one of the basic ideas of Robert Anton Wilson. There's there's it's maybe logic. There's not one thing that's true. Uh, there are different reality tunnels that you can shift through your the uh, your beliefs. Um, somebody asked when Burroughs died. Um, I believe it was like 90, it's sometime between like 96 and 98. Yeah, there we go. Literally between 96 and 98. Yeah, 1997, he would have been, uh, holy crap, he was born in 1914. So he would have been, I think it was like 82 or 83, I guess then. Um, And uh, as far as, if I recall, I'm thinking he was probably, uh, he spent most of his final years in Lawrence, Kansas, which by the way, uh, shortly before, Kurt Cobain's death. He was spending time with Burroughs in Lawrence, Kansas, because um, it was it was a hangout spot. Like it, it's kind of weird to think of for me. Like you've got like Kurt Cobain and Patti Smith and um, you know Thurston Moore and Allen Ginsberg and like I think Dennis Hopper might have been like there were there were actors in the entourage too. too. You know, Dennis and all these and and. Guys like, you know, I'm not sure if Kinsey, Kinsey was maybe dead by then, but like, you know, he hung out with Kinsey too, you know, like all these guys and Kinsey, of course, also is connected to Crowley. And it's like the the creation of the 20th century, like owes an incredible debt, like uh, especially once we get into the 80s and 90s. uh, But the 60s is another really important decade. Uh, where like this whole Crowleyan current that got picked up, popularized, 
by Burroughs and then Genesis P. Orridge. And, and what's funny is like, you know, uh, like Genesis P. Orridge is probably the least well-known of the three in, in mainstream circles, but like probably almost like uh, it, it's uh, despite any obscurity still like just really, really, uh, you know, incredibly influential stuff. Uh, you know, another thing I find interesting, you, you know, Burroughs, like like uh, Hunter S. Thompson, writes about ritual murder. Like one of his, uh, and it was in the late 70s. I think it's, uh, I think it's in the cities of the Red Knight. Uh, and, you know, of course he mentions Aztecs and Mayans and human sacrifice before that. Um, and he talks about the ugly spirit uh, and possession and how he felt controlled uh, that that was, by the way, another one. Oh, by the way, we were just playing William Tell. Also, I was possessed, and it wasn't me that did it. Okay, well, you know, that's that's kind of two different stories, Mr. Burroughs. I, I'm hearing both from your very own mouth, and so you must be lying at least one of the times, unless the maybe the ugly spirit told him to tell her to play. Yeah, I don't know. Um, another really scary thing, he also mentions Pazuzu. Uh, and I think wow. that was in the cities of the red Knight, which is about like, you know, human sacrifice and ritual killing. Um, Pazuzu, by the way, of course, is written by William Peter Blatty, who was in army psyops at the same time. Now this is a Lebanese Catholic, by the way, a Jesuit trained Lebanese Catholic. He, you notice the, like, there's like a guy with a Jewish surname who's like a detective. And I think he's like a Catholic maybe. And like, I feel like that might've been a stand in character for Blatty. Because he's a, he's a Lebanese Jesuit uh, uh, working in army psyops under Colonel Michael Aquino, the founder of the Temple of Set. Um, you know, uh, and, and by the way, Blatty is another interesting character that I really like to uh, learn more about as well. Because he talks about the whole Georgetown set, you know, uh, which of course, you know, guys like James Jesus Angleton, once again, very much connected to culture makers and the CIA. Another one of those. Uh, but yeah, um, uh, so the, there's in the cities of the red Knight, and, uh, might as well bring up, Hey Rube, uh, because I find them both, uh, interesting in that they mention very specifically mention ritual murder, uh, you know, that's ritual Hunter S. Thompson, human that's killing. Not Burroughs. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, uh, uh, the, that's the title in, of Hunter S. Thompson's. Hey, that mentions right, which is also the title of the play uh, about the ritual killing of Sylvia Likens, uh, which was written by the 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 guy that was connected or the the wife of the guy that was connected to the Joan Benet case. And as much as Hunter knew gossip, and as he was from Colorado, I don't think, like I said, I can't buy that William S. Burroughs didn't at least hear the rumors about the CCF. You know, so I think I think he knew the CCF, sorry, the Congress for Cultural Freedom. I think he knew about the CIA's cultural engineering games. And I think probably at some times he tried to, uh, you know, counteract them, maybe. You know, he uh, I also find it interesting. He he talks uh, he talks very negatively about LSD and about how the people who were pushing LSD are are you know doing it for mind you know nefarious purposes of behavioral control like you know this is while mk ultra is going on so yeah i do believe that you know the same with thomas pynchon and hunter s thompson i believe that all these guys knew some things sometimes 
And, you know, I feel the same way about Lovecraft. That's why I like all these guys. I kind of, you know, connect them. Uh, you know, I've got a project folder. It's just his pulps. In my pulps folder, it's not about like the history of EC Comics. It's about the relations between mainly these type guys and how they affected society at large. And like I said, going back to guys like H.G. Wells and the founding of the uh, the, the UFO culture, you know, that guy was a member of the, the Fabian Society, or he was a member of the Bloomsbury Group, which was the literary arm of the Fabian Society, the guys who, um, they called themselves <clears throat> socialists. They were really just elitist. Um, but yeah, you know, like science fiction, by the way, is another one of those, you know, uh, I consider Burroughs a science fiction writer, even though technically he writes literature. The same thing with Kurt Vonnegut. That's what I love about Kurt Vonnegut, Philip K. Dick, and William S. Burroughs, is they finally made sci-fi high literature. Like, in my opinion, they're finally, those that genre is finally getting Philip its Philip K. Due. Dick was off the charts. His oh, wow. literature is a first rate, among first rate. He predicted our current environment. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, like all this stuff that sounded like absolutely wacky, like the idea of news clowns. I love like multiple of his stories talk about news clowns. News clowns are your news anchors, except they just tell, you know, punchlines. It's like, wait, you mean like how on every channel, every night there's a comedian and that's where half of people get their news from? Like half of people get their news from Stephen Colbert or it's Jimmy so Kimmel, or oh you know, yeah, that's uh, like, just and, the, or the so idea scary. of um, like I'm terrified of those guys. I really get a very uneasy feeling whenever pre, I see Kimmel or pre, anyone pre, on the major networks. Yeah, yeah, the, the, those really guys find it disturbing. Uh, what's what's the British guy, John Oliver? You know, and like he he tries to stand apart. Oh, he's different. Look, he talked about Palestine. No, man, he works for HBO, guys. He works for HBO. Do you think he's against what HBO and every other major conglomerate is against? Of course not. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Pre but another, you want to talk about Crowley? I cover some a lot oh, of these yeah. people in Children of the Beast, but. Um, Burroughs interviewed Jimmy Page, known Crowley follower mm -hmm. to this day. I was 75. And also he's working with Dennis Hopper. Hopper's in Night Tide with Parsons, Scarlet Lady. And Hopper oh, yeah, has a much yeah. more Richard occult Cameron. background. Yeah, so there's just yep. so many. You could just write the occult ties of William Burroughs. It's a yeah, total, oh, a, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and by the way, pages. I, yeah. I want to I want to name drop uh, Tommy Cowan again because, like I said, I I just recently discovered this uh, you know this paper you know guys from the University of Amsterdam knows his stuff and one of the few people who are talking about the occult angle um, you know it, you by the way you should reach out uh, uh, to that guy for an interview I bet it'd be really interesting uh, Burroughs you know, is an occultist Burroughs is oh, about absolutely. the magical worldview. That all of and these guys have this, all like, had a magical worldview. Surrealism and the Freudian current and um, you know automatic writing and using dreams as inspiration. Cut out process. Like, exactly the third the idea of the third mind where like you and uh, you know whoever wrote this text and then you combine them. Uh, you know it's it's basically sort of like a form of psychomancy. Like you open a book at random and you point and then like that's the the will or whatever is is sending you a message there um 
And if, but people, yeah, I, if people, hold on, if people want to understand the cutout method, all that, that, that people are using it, go listen to David Bowie's Ashes to Ashes. I'll try to follow along with the lyrics. It's all the cutout oh, yeah. method from Burroughs. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, talking about occultism, I'd say Crowley and Burroughs, I would say they were both uh, successful at magic, but not at being a person. Like they were successful ma magicians and cursed humans, you know, um, like both of them at the end of their life. It was kind of sad. Like, you know, uh, Crowley apparently died, what, cursing his doctor for one more fix, you know? Um, and so I like these guys, you know, Never I would not. Yeah. I would not have wanted to be these guys like they're, you know, they're incredibly important to history and whatnot. Uh, but I would not have wanted to be these guys. But yeah, you know, and you mentioned Parsons, too. I think Parsons is an important part of where uh, UFOs and things become kind of tied into um, like this, this cer certain current. And, and I do believe eventually, like you see the UFOs being mainstreamed more and more and more. Like, I have no doubt it could be in my lifetime when there's going to be these aliens, okay? And they're going to be like, hey, guys, why don't you have a one world government? And, you know, like that's, one more thing that's we been can't, the message, like one over more, and over again. One more thing we cannot forget is his Yage is the progenitor, really kind of the beginning in the Western mind of the ayahuasca movement. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, like he was also influential on guys like uh, Carlos Castaneda, uh, which, again, if you're looking at like the roots of chaos magic, Carlos Castaneda's the the writings of Don Juan Matus. Uh, totally fictional, too. Totally exactly. Fictional. Yeah, there was no Don Juan. There was just yeah. a guy. And, you know, Carlos like, Castaneda made everything. <laughs> he out. just yeah. made a bunch of and stuff. And started up. his own cult. Yeah. Uh huh, and it worked. And some women it died. Just some women died in the desert. Oh, disappeared. God. Yeah. Nobody asked. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know. Uh, oh, by the way, another thing that I do want to mention: another element of of the the context that leads up to guys like both Crowley and Burroughs uh, that I don't see mentioned nearly enough is Rabelais. Rabelais is this French writer who, when he wrote his first book, you know, he wrote Pen. Uh, Gargantua, uh, Gargantua and Penta, yeah. And when he wrote it at first, he had to write it under a pseudonym because it was it was too dirty. There were too many dirty jokes, and you could you could have like you could be put to death, or you could have your uh, family's land seized, and like. But apparently, the prince like thought it was liked to the dirty jokes, and he was like, okay, you can write another, and you can put your name on it this time. But in Rabelais, that's where we get the Abbey of Thelema. And also just the, like, a lot oh, of people yeah. compare Burroughs right, yeah. to Joyce. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, you know, Joyce Joyce didn't come from a vacuum. You know, the, like, Rabelais was the original guy who wrote, like, a 400-page, 400-plus-page 400 dirty joke uh, that's incredibly, incredible, like, you know, every kind of gruesome and gross, you know, body humor and you know like literally sex and farts and like it's incredibly lowbrow stuff well, i know but at somebody, the same time incredibly highbrow right. uh, i know somebody who wrote about rob lay because and and included gargantuan pantagruel that person is me 
because I included it in my first book, Prophet of Evil, when I wrote it. Oh, yeah. 10, because the saying in the Abbey of Philema is, nay, save Udras, exactly. do what you will. Do what which you is will, yeah. Above the Hellfire Club or the monks mm -hmm. of Medmanham in yep. uh, London. So it's traced right. all the way up to the present. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't Benjamin Franklin was at uh, Hellfire Club alumnus, right? And they would like. The elite of England. The, yeah, and they would go the break checker, into yeah. churches at night and have orgies with, like, you know, it's wild You can stuff. still see the tombs of Medmenham there. They're all carved into the, the wall. The guy was super rich, second richest wow. man in. So it's like the original Eyes Wide Shut of the 17th mm -hmm. century. But you can probably put uh, the Bohemian Club or uh, is it a modern Hellfire Club, too. So it's not oh, like yeah, something absolutely. that just happens in the past, yeah. And they just keep their mouth shut. Yeah, so ayahuasca, He's there's so many things that come through Burroughs mm -hmm. that have influenced the present culture. Yeah, like, like you said, like the whole DMT kick, whether it's Joe Rogan or right. uh, the guy that wrote, I, I forget the guy that, uh, you know, Terrence McKenna, obviously. Terrence McKenna, by the way, I found it interesting. Terrence McKenna, like, is one of the huge popularizers of DMT. Also, the guy that wrote Mayan Time Wave about the 2012 thing. And he does not, he apparently, like, he's like, hey, why don't I steal a bunch of ideas from Burroughs, but not credit him? Yeah, that's what I'll do, you know? Because, like, really, honestly, I, I don't know. It, there's a possibility that McKenna didn't read Burroughs. I don't find it very likely that he that he read so little Burroughs that he didn't know that half of the stuff he's talking about like originates in the 50s, 60s, and 70s with Burroughs. Um, but yeah. Yeah, you see a lot of just goes through the current 93 current, right? <laughs> it goes mm -hmm. all the way through to modern bands, all these characters. Mm -hmm. So you Steely can Dan, you know, I love Duran Steely Duran. Dan, Duran. But Duran. Yeah. Yeah, like if, if you're a Steely Dan fan, by the way, and you don't know where their name comes from, stay blissfully ignorant. Just trust me. Uh, all I'm going to say is uh, he's steam powered and he's killed a man. And you don't want to know the rest. Trust me. You don't want to know who or what Steely Dan is. But yeah, I mean, like it's, uh, you know, the so many like Blade Runner. Blade Runner is not mentioned the, the the term blade runner is not mentioned once in uh philip k dick's do androids dream of electric sleep it's it's a term that was like uh first used by burroughs and then became the title uh, uh of a book by i think alan norse I, I haven't read any of his stuff but yeah oh my gosh i'm reading ben franklin's hangout bodies buried in the basement i had heard like i i assumed uh, I, I didn't know if I was getting it confused with, cause I know like, you know, the skull and bones, of course, like they got lambasted finally for having stolen Geronimo's skull stuff. Come on, man. These are the guys that run America. Like that is, I like, not only is it just, it's always disrespectful to be a literal ghoul and rob the dead. That will always be bad. But the fact that it was the skull and bones, these rich, wealthy industrialists who would become the intelligence community, and they're like, but why don't we rob the grave of a Native American uh, who fought, you know, fought for his life against us and lost? Like, that just makes it so much sicker. 
you know? I don't know. Oswald asked, does Philip think McKenna had any ties to any pedos? I do not know. I do know that he spent enough time at places like Esalen, which I know have had their fair share and then some of, of you know, pedophiles in and out. Um, but it reminds me, you know, I mentioned Naropa earlier. There are some great Naropa lectures. By the way, Naropa has like several major sex scandals, uh, not only tied to the university itself, but the Shambhala uh, like, you know, it was one of those Tibetan Buddhist guys. Uh, uh, I, can't, I can't remember how you pronounce his name. Chogyam something. And uh, uh, but yeah, the Shambhala Institute or Associate or Foundation or whatever and Naropa have some sex scandals of their own and and some other, you know, just little issues. But yeah, I, uh, I, I'd i say can, coming up in the 80s uh, as he did, I think it would be like whether he knew it or not is another question, but I, I'm almost certain that he probably rubbed shoulders with a few because like, like, you know, we mentioned Hakeem Bay uh, and Burroughs and, you know, a lot of the guys that were, you know, in the 60s, 70s and 80s, Ginsburg, they were, they were absolutely, you know, not even just pedophiles. They weren't in the closet. They were proud pedophile activists, many of them, which, you know, Thank God that for now, at least, that that trend to try and kind of, you know, there's the group Prostasia, which is trying to change that, of course. Uh, but like there was a trend for, you know, up until about the 90s, I'd say, is when, you know, when the child abuse uh, epidemic, which was like, you know, they're trying to call it a scare, some folks. But when the child abuse epidemic really came to light in the 80s and 90s, uh, I think that put a damper on this idea of, Oh, we're we're for children's rights. We're for children's liberation. Children should have the right to be groomed and abused by creepy adults. That's their right to express their sexuality. You know, no, no, they don't want that. <laughs> no. And you're you're stealing someone's innocence and their and uh uh you know and their agency when you do that. And it's absolutely not about, you know, freedom and liberation or whatever. Uh and yes, I think, you know, one of the guys that, that I admired, see, degenerates kind of gravitate towards each other. Uh, another guy that was a, I was a big fan of and then later had to come to terms with, like, some awful things, uh, Ron Sukunik. I think, like, uh, what was it, a line from either Out or Up, uh, scratch, an, uh, scratch an intellectual, uh, injure, injure a, uh, a pervert, something like that. <laughs> Which, you know, I hate to admit it, but like, yeah, a lot of those uh, guys that I really admired, you know, turns out they were also kind of like some very demented, deranged and degenerate individuals among them. Well, we are at over the hour. Is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap it up, Phil? Oh, no. I mean, like, uh, uh, like I say, I appreciate you having me on. I do yeah. want to say one thing. Um, this might be a little, uh, unusual, but I'm going to plug your book right now because I have been like for the past week, global death cult. Everybody's talking about, well, not everybody, but Rolling Stone finally did an article about Adam Waffen and the order of nine angles and the fact that, oh, Hey, so there's these neo-Nazi Satanist groups and they're committing domestic terrorism and killing us 
soldiers. Like, that, is this newsworthy or should we talk about Patriot Prayer and Antifa beating each other in the streets again? Which not to say that's not an important story too. But I think that the guys that are once they are like one guy away from bringing a javelin home to the U.S. while they're getting extra battle training in Ukraine right now. I'm telling you, everybody who's listening right now, if you haven't read it, read Global Death Cult by William Ramsey because five to 15 years, 20 maximum. Unless things change, we're going to have a nine, like all the, one six was worse than 9-11 because Americans did it. Well, I'm glad that none of the insurrectionists killed anyone unlike at 9-11 but when when these adam waffen and 09a guys and the base when they do get a nuke or a few javelins it's gonna be very much worse than 9-11 and it's gonna be actual insurrectionists and yes they're uh you know tying back to the cia and the limited hangouts and gladio and whatnot uh that book I, it's going to become increasingly more relevant as time goes on, especially with what's going on in the Ukraine right now. I think you're right. Some of those yeah, weapons are going to get so. out. They're trading oh, the yeah. weapons. They're giving I the saw weapons the and dark making web. They're already selling javelins on the dark web. And like, like I said, that's another one of like, uh, I haven't read Siege by John Mason. I did listen to the audiobook of that you're other guy. You're not missing that, anything. I know, right? But like, I will have to eventually listen to the audiobook just so I know because I did the same with what's his name, Lincoln Pierce, uh, Lincoln Rockwell. I, or no, not uh, Luther oh, Pierce. Pierce is uh, yeah, the guy that yeah, wrote the yeah. uh, the book that inspired. Uh, yeah, but uh, the Turner Diaries. Yeah, Turner Diaries. Uh, but yeah, like you know, uh, I, apparently, like one of the things that those circles that have been around for years and are growing in certain spots of the underground. One of the things they talk about is trying to get nuclear weapons and uh, ICBMs. Um, and, you know, that's really scary. That's really scary. So I do hope that, like, you know, uh, I hope that things change. But if they don't, then, like, if you want to find out who the groups are that, that, that may do the next 9-11 false flag, uh, a, few of the, a few of the best candidates are in that book. Yeah, you got to really watch out for your kids if you have young men online. You got to really watch mm -hmm. out because all those kids yeah. have got radicalized. This guy in uh, Buffalo, he, I think he was wearing yep. the Sonnenrad thing that they have all over the house. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's weaponized. Thing. Weaponized loneliness is going to yes, be yeah. incredibly potent and powerful over the coming years. Like the, the Discord, the ex-Fed who was in a Discord right. with the Buffalo shooter, like you come on, guys. You have to put that in quotes. The, quotes, the ex, ex fed. fed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Now I know that the FBI does this all the time, but this guy was ex FBI. It's different this time. No, it's not. That What's actually really, makes it worse. It makes it worse because what happens is they get contracted out where they're not even mm -hmm. the Fed. So that they, way they the can fed exactly. is protected. You're that right. way they can say, Absolutely. "Oh no, see, we didn't." Not a government yeah. agent. I'm an quasi-government mm -hmm. agent. Right. Much different. Exactly. <laughs> I'm a subcontractor. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I'm not no, even those... a contractor. I'm the subcontractor. Yeah. Bro, so <laughs> some of those like quasi-governmental agents, like what is it, Black Cube and stuff, they're scarier mm -hmm. than some of those. Oh, yeah. Oh, they yeah. They don't have to abide by oversight. <laughs> exactly. They don't have oversight. Yeah. 
the finders, you know? And then one day we were like, oh, uh, you know that investigation into international child trafficking, abuse, and child pornography that two federal agencies are involved in and multiple jurisdictions of, of cops? Well, we're shutting that down. It's internal investigation now. You know, like, how scary is that? Like, it's really and, scary. I, oh. That whole idea of, you know, the... The, the agency head doesn't know. They, they make sure that, like, the agency is insulated from certain actions. And uh, that's why they use group Facebook but, uh, and Palantir and all these, all these all groups. Palantir is yeah. really powerful. Yeah, oh, all so scary. Stuff. I saw the guy. He was meeting with Zelensky. He was, like, the second in command of Palantir. Palantir was oh, hanging no. out with Zelensky. Like, I'm like, oh, what the hell? That means they're yeah. probably running domestic operations in the Ukraine, mm. gathering data and collating massive and you know we were talking about philip k dick they they do the literal precog stuff like you know philip k dick made science fiction about pre-crime and precogs in marketing and now there's an app for that you know like now literally there's an app for that dude we are in the scanner darkly where the government drugs Mm. you use the drugs then they get you Uh to get better (laughs) and that makes the drugs it's just a big circle i know right like that's why uh, philip k dick pension burroughs lovecraft like yeah technically it's fiction Technically, it's fiction, but if you read between the lines and you know a lot of this weird esoteric history, then you'll realize like these guys were either onto something or knew some things that people didn't know. I mean, like the the movie The Parallax View came out two days uh, after uh, Marx and Marchetti's Cult of National Intelligence and stuff like Mm -hmm. the Heart Attack Gun and MKUltra and government-run assassinations, all that stuff wasn't on the congressional record yet. You know, like that that book had just come out, which tells me somebody was talking before then. So yeah, I do believe that sometimes, uh, you know, some some fiction is sometimes a good, like you have to read between the lines uh, and, and then, you know, like do some digging on your own. I, but yeah. I think that they've digested so much information from such a variety of sources that they'll be able to get into almost a quasi-prophetic future, much right. like, much like 1984, much like uh, yeah. Orwell, where that's yeah, total yeah. fiction, but it's real as hell. Two plus two equals right. five. You're getting that in American media today. Oh, you don't believe this? Go to the go to room 101, baby. You don't think that <laughs> right. kids should be groomed or have strip joints or strip, you know, whatever shows or gender? I've always loved Big Brother. Yeah. <laughs> No, so they'll get you. We're almost, before, yeah. They've got compliance for most of the American public. So we're oh past 1984, baby. Like they've got people so afraid they can't even speak up and talk because they'll lose their job, money, income, whatever. So we're yep. terrible, terrible shape. Philip Fairbanks, where can people get your book? Um, you know, pretty much anywhere online. Walmart, Target, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, uh, Powell's. There's a few others. If you're outside of the US, there's a uh, an online store in Taiwan, Poland, Australia, uh, UK. So you can like hopefully get it with a little cheaper shipping uh, from those spots. And also in the next couple of months, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a few weeks out from uh, having a first draft to send to proofreaders on this uh, Kai the Hitchhiker book project I've been working on all year. 
which I mean, you know, honestly, the story I've been covering it for five years now. I started writing about it in 2017. I've been in touch with Kai all this time. Uh, but, you know, uh, as far as like actually putting it down in book length form, I've uh, been working on that all year and hopefully it will be uh, ready to go this uh, this summer. So and we'll definitely make sure you get an advanced review copy. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to read it and have you back on to talk about it. So congrats. Oh, definitely. Awesome. Thanks so much. Do you have a working title? Are you able to divulge? I, or? I'm, I'm thinking like, of, you know, I've got a few different like uh, thinking. You don't maybe, have to share if you don't want to. Oh, no, no. Uh, you know, I might as well get it out there. And if people have ideas, you know, like I don't like that. You know, no, please. Constructive cr uh, criticism is always appreciated. Smash, smash, smash. The tragic tale of Kai the Hitchhiker. Because, like, if you don't remember Kai the Hitchhiker, but you saw that video, smash, smash, smash. You know, oh, right. That, that's who Kai the Hitchhiker was. So if you're familiar with that story in the viral interview, uh, and most people, even if they are familiar with that story, they don't know all of what happened later I, and the people I who don't. do. Yeah. And, and I if remember you read, the video very you read well. The I remember his coverage. face. He had that mm -hmm. head cough scarf on or whatever. So I remember yeah. him, but I don't know. And, and like the, the, the mainstream media really dropped the ball on this case because there is so much like they, they talk about. Well, he's, you know, all these bizarre conspiracy theories. And I'm like, it's not a conspiracy theory. When I've got a picture of the check written out to the uh, the this program at Rutgers that is run by the doctor who's the expert witness and one hundred fifty thousand dollars from from the uh, the will of the guy, the alleged rapist. And then this guy's like, no, he couldn't have been raped. I saw a video of him. I saw a two minute video of this guy. He couldn't have been under the influence of uh, of a rape drug. And, and by the way, like, you know, uh, whatever kind of expert academic this guy is. He's wrong about that. You know, I'm working on, I'm actually reaching out to some forensic toxicologists because even I know that this guy is wrong, but I'm not a forensic toxic. I need somebody who's published in academic papers about drug facilitated sexual assault to say, no, two plus two is four. So that I can be like, and they said, <laughs> you can't take my word for it. But yeah, as far as, as far as all that goes, that's uh, this book will I, I'm going to toot my own horn. It will be far more in depth than anything uh, that's been written about the case, including my own work, you know, and sadly, I hate the fact that, you know, uh, it's something I wrote in the introduction. If, if you got to be like the world's foremost expert on something, wouldn't you want it to be like an extinct, like a, like a, an extinct mollusk or an obscure Renaissance music? It's something that's not important. You know, like if you've got to be like uh, a world's foremost uh, writer, writing authority on the subject of a man's life hangs in the balance. Like I would much rather someone with more experience and audience and, you know, but until somebody else decides to pick it up and run with it, you know, and hopefully that'll be the case. You know, hopefully the, the people will read the book. They'll say, hey, wait a minute. And look, he, in the in the end notes, he's got a picture of the because. Like some of this stuff, you will have to see it yourself in black and white. You need to see like straight out of the court documents, straight out of the invest the, the investigative reports, straight out of the forensic lab reports, because otherwise you've got to take my word for it. And I don't want people to take my word for it. I, I might be wrong, okay. you know, but right. my end notes will be impeccable. So hopefully that'll be hopefully that'll be uh, as interesting as I feel it is important.
Right on. And where's the best place to reach you? You have a website too, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, PhilFairbanks.com, just P-H-I-L-F-A-I-R-B-A-N-K-S.com. Uh, I'm also Kafka guy, <clears throat> Kafka guy on Twitter, and KafkaGuy at gmail.com is the best way to get a hold of me. Cool. I'll put that in the show notes. And again, Phil Philip Fairbanks talked about William Burroughs. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Stay there. See ya.